Hey, thanks for tuning in to episode 26 of the Ross Trina Project. If you enjoyed this episode, then give it a share on social media and follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at TRTPpod. Today's guest went from being a terrible pupil to an amazing teacher. He's the producer of the podcast Strangers in a Cinema and the former host of Millsy's Boombox. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your boy, Jack Mills. Yeah, so I was messing around with my video. That's wearing good. a cowboy hat as well. Oh, nice. It looks cool. Have you got something going on with your background? Yeah, I've just blurred it out so you can't see my house. Oh, that's a good idea. House. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's like a white wall and, you know, several pictures on the wall. Oh, but right. I use it I use it specifically for when uh, I have to do virtual lessons. At oh, you don't want the kids uh, peeking on your, your posters. Basically, yeah. Because <laughs> there's some rude pictures on the wall. So. Ah. Well, there's not really but you know <laughs> yeah i'm doing well i'm doing well oh that's Very... good man yeah yeah oh oh good man uh you've done many other podcasts uh not recently uh usually i'm behind the laptop doing all this sort of organizing and um editing and all those types of things um for a long time i used to um work on radio so did i studied radio production at university yeah was originally what i wanted to do but it just it didn't work out because you know i wanted to stay in cheltenham and there's not a lot of radio job opportunities in a small town like this so it just ended up being more running a radio station for young people which is sort of how I got into the teaching and the teaching assistant side of things um, because that dried up and I ended up deciding I wanted to go and work in a school. Um, and obviously my mum being a teacher as well, well, she was a teacher. She retired a few years ago. And I sort of looked at that and thought, actually, I'm quite good with people, working with people. So I just thought it'd be quite a nice thing to go with and it ended up being the right career path and i've made the right choice hopefully we'll see what happens as the future goes on yeah. just hope no, no one hears this podcast i guess <laughs> that's it yeah because obviously uh being a teacher i have to be very um close with the gdpr stuff and not really share anything too drastic but um I wanted to really sort of talk about, you know, where I was and where I am now, really. And, you know, things that have happened during that journey that I've taken over the last sort of 10 or so years. Yeah, that's... Um, it's, no, so, yeah, yeah, you've had quite the or turnaround, is that the right word? So uh, uh, tell me about your childhood, like, what, what was primary um, school like for you? What was primary school like? Um, primary school was fine, I think. Uh, I generally had a good time at primary school. All the teachers were sort of caring and as they should be, really. Um, just got on with it. Mm. Um, and then it sort of, as I got a bit older, I sort of started to realise that I was sort of slipping behind a bit more than, say, my peers were. I didn't really know what the reason for that was. And it sort of, I think it must have been sort of like year nine that I started just, you know, not really giving two fucks about school and ended up just being quite rebellious. Um, and then I sort of went through just trying to, you know, do as minimal as possible and it didn't really get me as far as I wanted to go. Um, and you know the story behind this, and I'm not really going to delve deeper into it because it's something that could like drastically have an impact on my career at the moment. So mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to go into massive detail. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a bit of a strange time. And um, at that point, a lot of my friends were a lot older than me. Mm. So I was I was very much sort of, looking up to them and sort of 
staying out late and going into school rather tired and you know not really making or doing as much thing as I could have done really so I was trying to work this out um, recently what what's the age difference between us the age difference between us like is how do you know four years so I'm 29 this year oh okay so you know being a a 16 year old being <laughs> yeah quite uh quite an age difference back then but actually i think i learned a lot through those years and, well yeah you know um, was there something about school and, that like uh disillusioned you or was it just the sort of not being fucked because you were hanging around with people who are older so they didn't have to deal with school so you didn't feel like you have to deal with it either yeah there, I, yeah there was a little bit of that but actually I was struggling with a lot of sort of English and things like that. And I found that really difficult. And I just remember sort of not really being supported as much as I could have done at school. I think one big thing for me was that I was told, I don't know, quite early on that actually your attitude is rubbish and you're not going to get very far in life. And I think that was that had a massive impact on me in terms of, oh, I've just been told that, you know, my life's not going to go anywhere. So why should I really care about what I'm doing or how much effort I'm putting into school? And it wasn't until sort of year 11 that that sort of everything just came crashing down, really. And I won't go into too much detail, but you can probably guess what I'm talking about. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm interested in, one, did you have any learning difficulties at all? or And also, did you feel uh, like some lessons were better than others in regards to like holding your attention? Yeah, massively. So like in terms of attention, uh, definitely sort of art. I was a massive fan of art always you know focusing in lessons always trying my best within that all the sort of creative subjects um and i enjoyed maths and i fondly enjoy maths now i love teaching maths to children it's so good with all the puzzles and all the things you can sort of get out of maths um but yeah it wasn't until i was about 19 that i was diagnosed with dyslexia or you know reading comprehension difficulties things like that and so that that had a massive impact on me because it sort of confirmed a little inkling that I had when I was younger that actually maybe I was slipping behind because I didn't quite understand it and that was sort of stopping me in my tracks almost if that makes sense um yeah you got yes that, that shit needs to be caught early doesn't it um it just sets you up almost for failure later on if you don't realize it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, I think, realistically, when I was at college, so, you know, going a bit further on in sort of my education career, it wasn't until, you know, my tutor was looking over me as I was working on the laptop that she sort of noticed, you know, that I wasn't as focused and engaged in the writing, the essay writing as maybe I should have been because I was so fascinated by film and television and things like that, that actually I should have been able to sort of do all the theory and write about it and stuff. And she basically, they got me booked in for the assessment and it all came back. And I think when I was told that, yeah, you have these learning difficulties that really sort of gave me more confidence, if that makes sense, hmm. because it sort of allowed me to really consider what I wanted to do and what I wanted to go down. And if I'd had that support at school, I think school would have gone so much better. I, you know, I would have done so much better in my GCSEs and things like that. Now, if you think about GCSEs, I've only got three Whereas what, most what, people have about 15. What did you get? I got a C in maths. I got a C in English. I got, I think I got a C in science and the rest of them were like D's and stuff. But the, the most, un the unfortunate thing was I was never allowed to take my 
art GCSE. Oh, okay. And that really, that really crushed me because that was a massive thing for me at that age was focusing on my drawing, focusing on my painting and things like that. And that's really sort of had an impact going forward because I haven't had the focus to be able to do that because I was never, I know it's just a piece of paper that says, oh, here you are, you've done this exam, you've got an A in art or something. But actually for me, I would have, I needed that gratification. I needed that reassurance that I was good at something. It it would have bumped you up, wouldn't it? Um, even from a sort of perspective of other people. I don't know. Yeah, you're lucky to have got uh, English and maths because they're the two ones that people still ask about in like job references now. Yeah, I, know, yeah, I never got no, an English GCSE, and I, uh, I I haven't been able to get past the HMV uh, entry exam thing on their <laughs> registration. <laughs> okay. You go online, they ask um, if you've got English GCSE. It's like I'm in my thirties. <laughs> Do I need it? And no, Do I need that piece not. of paper? <laughs> yeah. But actually, like, it's ridiculous how how much, you know, general life relies on those pieces of paper that you received, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's, I, I don't get it. You could just do a test on your computer and just pass. And for me, that would be enough. Mm. If you can show that you've got, you know, even an inkling of understanding of the English language, then why do you need a GCSE? But anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think once sort of school finished, when year 11 finished, there was this sort of idea of, oh, I want to go and do A-levels now. But actually, no, you can't go and do A-levels because you can't prove that you're, I suppose, I suppose intelligence you can't prove your intelligence because you haven't got this list of 15 to 16 gcses all saying a b c etc etc and i went i remember going to college and going to one of these opening days where i could apply for the courses and they just looked at my piece of paper and they just said sorry but this is the wrong room you shouldn't be in here (laughs) what and yeah basically they this is they probably didn't say that in the exact words but they sort of <laughs> sort of turned me away instantly they were like well no you can't come and do your a levels and that was another knock to the system so from then onwards it was very much like i'm going to fight for this and i'm going to really sort of improve myself as a person i'm going to work incredibly hard to get to where i need to be and so i remember i did um I did like a media course, like a first diploma media course, which basically it got me enough. Is that Oxpens? Um, yeah, I did it at Oxpens. Yeah, when it was Oxpens back in the day. Um, so I went there and I did that media course and it basically got me enough, bumped up my GCSEs. So I had enough to be able to go and do an A-level equivalent course. Yeah, I, I looked reason, at the same course when I went, because I, I wasn't 100% I was going to get the five GCSEs I needed mm. to be able to get onto the course I wanted to do. So I did actually look at the media course as well. Was it good? Yeah, I think for me, it was um, it was my first sort of inkling into like um, radio and film studies and using cameras and things like that. <clears throat> and animation, which was a massive thing for me at that point making like little models out of you know blue tack and clay and sort of making little films with it and stuff and that's where my focus was at that point I really wanted to do that and then for some reason I decided to study to be a chef for a year (laughs) that was just the most random thing I could have decided I had no idea where I was going I'd finished this course and I decided to be a chef for a year and it was probably the worst decision I've ever made. No no offence to like people that do chefing or anything. It's an incredible skill to have to be able to, you know, make these incredible sort of dishes. It's insane. But what I found was I basically at that age didn't like being told what to do. And there was a real sort of hierarchy struggle that I had in the chefing course. And I just... I liked cooking. I liked, you know, using all these fancy ingredients. 
but I just couldn't deal with the the head chef type hierarchy type thing. And it really just, I just made me give up. I just, you know, skip, skip college and go and sit by the river and, you know, have a few beers and other stuff, you know? So it was, so that probably wasn't the best choice. So that was a year of my, you know, my Was that Oxford as well? Up. Yeah, I did it at Oxford. Yeah. So Bedo did that course as well. Oh, I remember. He's, and he's a, so he's on chef now, isn't he? Yeah, so he's he's gone on and he's taken that career and he's done really well with it. And it just wasn't for me. I know what and you mean about just... um, the chefs, the sort of head chef dynamic. Like head chefs are often quite angry. And um, I almost like envision a sort of when you were saying hierarchical, like the similar situation to in the army. So you, do you have to be like quite disciplined and sort of not piss the head chef off? Is that right? Yeah, so you have to come in, you know, with your, your boots on and your your chef whites you have to have your sharpened knives you have to look smart you have to have you know clean shaven face and being told that you know at 17 years old when all you want to do is just be rebellious and go and party and do all those types of things it just didn't fit with me at all and i i really don't understand why i decided to do that so you know but it always comes into my mind and i'm like well, that was a year that I learned how to cook properly. And now I'm just too lazy to cook. So all those <laughs> yeah. skills that I learned, I'm not going to use them ever because, <laughs> because of the experience I had. Was the course that and, bad that you, um, no, you actually hate fine. cooking now or <laughs> I think it's just me. I think I'm just lazy when it comes to cooking because I know I can cook and I know I can spend hours prepping and sorting out like a really tasty meal and like a, I cook a lot, but then Francesca like is a great, she's a great cook. Like the food that she produces, even on a weekly night, you know, dinner is exceptional. And if she can do that, then sometimes I decide not to, you know, I, I probably should, I probably should, you know, put my weight in really, but I don't. So, so what, um, what happened after you uh, stopped in the chef course? I went on to do um, a BTEC um, extended diploma in media, which is which is what I should have done straight away after I'd done that first diploma course in media. I should have gone straight onto the the A level one, and this was this was great. Like I learned so much, you know, about using cameras properly, setting up like film studios, things like that. But all these great things that I could delve into. And this is where I found a passion for, for radio. Uh, a lot of it was this little tiny studio that they'd set up in the college. It was enough freedom for me to just listen to my music and just talk away. Now, for me, I'm, you know, I'm a massive introvert. Like, I have the worst social anxiety known to man. I, I hate being in a situation where I'm in a room with loads of people and I find it really difficult to add into conversation, if you know what I mean. Like, I find it incredibly difficult. And so, for some reason, the two, th the two jobs that I've decided to go into in my career rely on my voice. So, actually, getting over that massive anxiety of not being able to be in a situation where I can talk and things like that, I sort of really impress myself. You know, I have to use my voice on a daily basis. I have to stand in a front in in front of, you know, 30 children and they're expecting me to, you know, be this wealth of knowledge and be able to share everything. And so I've, it, yeah, it's, it's mad. It's mad. like the journey that I've come on in the last sort of 10 years has been very sporadic in the stuff that I've done because I've never really sort of known exactly what I wanted to do. And so I went to university because I wanted to get out of um, Wantage, where we're from originally, because I just felt like something there was sort of stopping me from progressing. And so university, it was like, yeah, nice. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to do really well. I'm going to work really hard. 
I think I spent the first two years getting out of bed all the time late and drinking too much. And, you know, so it's this big, it's this big thing where they say, oh yeah, uni is amazing. You're going to learn all these, these good things. And it wasn't until third year where I really pulled my finger out of my ass and just like sat down, got on with it, sorted everything out, did what I was good at. And, and that's, you know, in terms of that, it sort of started a, a decent career for me within the radio with setting up this radio station for young people, working with these young people, being able to share my wealth of knowledge that I'd learned over the last few years and be able to share that and actually be able to involve, you know, vulnerable young people that wouldn't necessarily have that support from other people that I was able to, you know, be there and be that supporting person, engage them with this exciting, you know, new thing that they could work on. They'd be able to play their own music. They'd be able to listen to whatever they wanted, but they'd also be able to talk and share how they're feeling. And I think at that point that was massively important for them to be, you know, to be able to come out of that vulnerability and be able to share you know, everything that they have. And for, you know, for them to be like to their friends, oh, come and listen to this. And and I think that was amazing at that point. But sadly, with all things like that, our funding stopped, you know, as a charity, because it was working for a charity at that point, running this radio station. The charity was working around other support, you know, with young people, everything that happens with young people. And we had this little radio station, which was like my pride and joy at that point. Mm. And it's, and it, it was exciting, but unfortunately, because when you work for a charity, you've got to be able to raise these funds mm. and have that support. And sadly we had to sell all our equipment and it was no longer. So that's, uh, that's something that's... I'd probably do going forward. I'd probably try and set something up. Would you like to rebuild a studio then? Yeah, I think, you know, that would be my dream. I think obviously having my own setup in my house, like I've got a microphone, I've got all that sort of stuff, but it's not the same because I'm not going to be able to, you know, put soundproofing all over my walls. You know, <laughs> I live in a one, like a one bedroom flat. There isn't the space to do that as much as I would love for that space it's just not there so yeah that would be a dream definitely but uh, currently you know i am a teacher and if i look back 10 years ago and someone said oh what do you want to be teacher would have been like at the bottom of the pile like ridiculously <laughs> low on the pile like it was never an aspiration at that point yeah. But I knew it was something that I was good at and something, you know, I was able to work with young people and I could, I was able to share skills and knowledge and stuff like that. And so I had then ended up um, applying to be like a teaching assistant at a primary school, the one that I'm actually a teacher at at the moment. And so my progression in terms of where I've been within this school has, has gone from, you know, lunchtime supervisor teaching assistant to now year five teacher so in terms of progression that's that's i've done pretty well with that do you as yeah. as you were like a sort of a, a kind of like a bit bit of a troubled child at school do you ever think about situations you were in uh in regards to sort of arguments with teachers or whatever and then do you sort of re do you sort of reinterpret them from the perspective of a teacher now oh massively hmm. because I really, as a teacher, you know, you've got to consider everything that might be going on in that child's life and everything that's happening, you know, might have a, an effect on how they are at school and things like that. So it's really important that, you know, I'm making sure that they're okay all the time. And I think, you know, going back to my my experiences as a child in school and as a teenager in secondary school and things like that, that's been really useful 
because I'm able to sort of use that understanding of how I felt mm. at school. And obviously, you know, working with some children that might have similar learning difficulties as myself, that's been really important because I've been able to ca- like catch that quite early on. Mm. And so having that understanding of everything that's going on, it, it does, you know, it does really add to the job. So, yeah, I think I have more, I wouldn't say more patience, but I definitely have more patience for some, some behavioral issues, if that makes sense. Do you kind of know how to reason with the kids who are being a bit disruptive as you kind of understand the, the thinking that goes into their behavior? In a sense, I think, you know, you need to sort of understand what, you know, factors there are for them to start behaving like that. You know, you've really got to consider what's going on in their lives, as I just said. And I think having that impact and being able to sort of, you know, almost talk to them about why they're behaving like that and sort of get their point of view and sort of understand where they're coming from. I think is really important that you you make you're that person that is there for them to be able to you know talk to and so I think I've used my experiences to my advantage in a sense if that makes sense oh nice um I was interested when you said just a minute ago that you uh you were an introvert Ed, were you always an introvert when you were growing up yes I think so massively um I think for me, I've always been the person that sort of stands at the side of a conversation, a group of people and just listens and then adds into the conversation when I feel I can, if that makes sense. But I've always found it difficult to put myself into social situations. So I've always made sure that I am in those social situations to almost get over that anxiety and I, I think that almost goes into the fact that that's the reason maybe I got into radio because I was sat behind a mic and I was able to just talk mm. and I didn't really consider, you know, who's listening to me. I was able to just talk about what I wanted to talk about. I was able to talk about the type of music I listened to, everything like that. So, you know, I think I have struggled with it massively, but, you know, as I've got older, I've found ways of, of dealing with this. And that's exactly the same as, you know, having slight learning difficulties as well. I've found tricks and ways that I can use that and use it to my advantage in a way, you know, I've got over those hurdles massively. And I think weirdly, you know, I'm not that old, but I feel like I have done quite a lot in those years, if that makes sense. You know, I think I've overcome a lot of hurdles. And I think if I hadn't put that effort into everything, then I don't think I'd be here. Well, not here. Well, I don't think I'd be where I am mm. now. Um, you know, and I didn't, I could never see a future of what I wanted to be exactly. And I think now I've found a passion that I absolutely love and will be doing for a lot of time, even though it's one of the most stressful things I've ever done in my life. It, I have a passion for it and I love it. And I want to be able to, you know, impact on children's lives. I want to be able to support them and I want to be able to get them to where they need to be. And if I'd had that rock and I'd had that support when I was at school, I think I would have done a lot better. So I use that. <laughs> have you found doing the radio show you used to do a radio show called was it jack mills boombox is that what it was called mills mills's boombox that was yeah. it uh do you find that doing that has uh made you better at talking i would i would say so it's not like i can talk at all like i'm clearly talking now you know but <laughs> it just like generally being able to put myself in a situation where i could we could have this conversation like a few years ago, this would have been quite difficult for me. I would have got quite nervous and I would have found it difficult to be able to really get my point across. I think now is, you know, especially with the teaching is that I've got to be so on point with what I'm teaching that actually sort of learn to do that. So 
Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you, uh, I guess you would have struggled with um, public speaking before. Uh, do you feel like that's an issue you no longer have as you have to talk in front of kids all the time? Yeah, massively. I think when I was at school, I probably wasn't able to really share or really talk about how I felt. And I think if I was able to do that back then, I wouldn't have got in as much trouble as I did because I would have been able to tell someone like how I felt and why I was feeling like that. And, you know, not a lot of the reason I think back then, like was my mum was, was quite ill at that time. Mm. And I'm not blaming her for the way it affected me, but it, I took it quite like it hit me quite hard. And I yeah. think that really sort of affected the way I was when I was younger and the way that I behaved at school and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a tricky thing to go through what you went through. And also, uh, it, during, during puberty as well was, is that right? Right time yeah. frame? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I probably still haven't been through puberty. I think that probably <laughs> skipped me. I still can't grow a beard and stuff. So uh, I think that probably just, you know, and I never grew like from the age of 14. I've always been like this height as well. So. Same here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, massively. But I think, yeah, back then it was, it was generally, if I was a, if I was able to get my point across and able to get my thoughts across, I think I would have been able to be supported a bit more. But I just remember, you know, being told, to get over that illness to be able to get over that you know after like six months i was told you need to get over this and that really frustrated me well uh, get you know, over that, how you were feeling yeah um you know obviously my mum was still she was still recovering mm. and it generally just really affected me and to have someone that's supposed to support you and supposed to be looking after you to be told to get over something that just instantly just made me switch off it just instantly made me want to not do well so i think there's been kinks in the road that have really sort of affected the way i've been but i'm here now and i think you know i've i've, I've i'm gonna praise myself here like i feel like i've done massively well no, I'd agree changed, with that, man, yeah. I've changed the way I am massively, so I think it's really important to sort of consider your future. That's one thing I would say is really... No, obviously, a lot of your listeners probably won't, you know, <laughs> will be doing what they want to do now, and they, you know, they might have similar stories to myself, but that's one piece of advice I'd say is really consider what you want to do, and I know it's not easy... But if you set yourself like a path of the things you want to achieve, then you can achieve anything, really. If you put your mind to it and you really focus on that one thing, then you will get there. So, uh, nice. So when you were um, doing your radio show, um, what sort of music did you used to play? Was it like local bands or did you play just anything you wanted to listen to? Um. Oh, it's a difficult one because like a lot of my music taste is so varied. Like I've never been, I, I would never put like a word on the genre that I enjoy because I love so much in like terms of like classical music to jazz to, you know, old classic rock and things like that. So my show really sort of incorporated different styles of music. It really depended on what I felt like playing that day. So a lot of it was back in the day when SoundCloud was like massive for mm. musicians to share their music. And a lot of it was a lot of sort of indie music, unsigned artists that I'd found from around the world that displayed like music that I really enjoyed. And I just wanted to share that with everyone. And then a lot of it was just, you know, talking about the records, talking about how they, they made me feel, how they might make you feel and things like that. So I, I really enjoyed that and I really missed that. You know, I could I could very easily continue to do that, but it's so difficult to do it on your own. Mm. Like 
if I was to do it on my computer, like there's so many like licensings and things like that you, yeah, you have to yeah, sort sure. out. That is a weird sort of difference between sort of radio and like podcasting. If you were to put like loads of different music on a podcast and then put it on all the podcast platforms, you would get in trouble for like some kind of copyright thing. But if with radio, is it like, is that kind of shit like settled? Like there is sort of a licensing fee that radio stations pay. Is that all right? Yeah. So there's, there's a licensing that you know, I can't remember what the company name is, mm. um, but basically it pays royalties to all the artists. So if your song is played on the radio, then we make a list of the songs that we we played and then we sent it to this this company and then they would sort of give out the royalties. But I suppose it's the same as like downloads on Spotify and listens on Spotify and things like that. Mm. But we were almost doing that service by sharing that music. And I absolutely love just sitting in my house, just listening to radio shows. Yeah. Like it's one of my favourite pastimes to just sit there switch off completely and just, you know, delve into someone else's music taste and listen to that. And that really excites me. I can almost envision like a sort of you being able to do it with just indie artists. So you could like, because then you, you sort of have a direct connection with them and you could say like, mm. yeah, would you mind if I played you on the radio? Right. Whereas then if you have to go through a record label, then it's going to be some kind of bureaucracy, isn't it? In the way. Oh, massively. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the difficult thing, isn't it? is is getting past that and i do remember like when i when i had this radio show and i pe- i played like quite a few um artists that i knew personally so I, someone back in the day was a dance producer i played his music um my friends in cheltenham were in a hardcore band and i really sort of pushed them mm. even though i probably shouldn't have played their music because it was pretty filthy <laughs> so um, you know, there's a lot of swear words and things like that. And I probably shouldn't have played it. And Ofcom would probably come in and rip my head off. Um, yeah. But I really just wanted to share their music and get it out to a, a bigger audience. But the trouble was because this, because I was doing this, it was like a college, it was a university radio station. You had so many, like you had such a vast variety of different radio shows so like getting that listenership up was incredibly hard unless you did your own sort of social media and things like that but actually the impact that that had back then wasn't as massive as say the impact that you have now Mm. with say with your social media or if you're a company and you've got that social media like i don't know really i don't know anything about social media like frankie she does all the social media for um like a a, a bar company she's pretty sell, good at like, it isn't she mm, yeah so yeah so that really fascinates me because i don't know anything about that like having conversations with her about that type of thing is really interesting but i think because you've got that platform now especially as yourself you know with your podcast and things that's so good to be able to just give that to loads of people you know you've got twitter you've got instagram you've got all of that and that's great and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know everything about it because I don't. And I wish at that point I had more knowledge of it because I feel like I would have got a bigger listenership. But also it depends if people like listening to my voice. Do you know what I mean? You know, you've got that inkling in your in your mind all the time is, oh, do I sound stupid? Do I say, you know, it's all, it's all those things that you think about when you're doing that type of thing. I so still get that now, time, man. Don't worry with me. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of a lot of the time it was just like I would play two or three tracks and then I'd sort of spend, you know, five minutes talking about each of those tracks mm. into more depth. And then I'd have like games and stuff like that, which, you know, could interact with other people. But I'm, I miss it. Like I, I really miss it. So to have like an opportunity to come on here and like talk on through a mic and stuff is, is, is really nice for me because nowadays i end up just being spending hours and hours editing you know different podcasts and listening to to the same podcast all the time which is exciting because i love doing it because it's it's a time where i can switch off and i can sort of look at this you know waveform and sort of create a way that i want it to look so so for the folks at home to tell us about the podcast you uh produce 
So I currently produce, I've been producing this podcast for, I think about three or four years now. Like it's crazy it's how quickly time goes, um, but it's called Strangers in a Cinema. And the way it works is when obviously the cinema is open, which obviously it isn't at the moment, um, is that they will talk about new releases at the cinema. They will discuss what they've been watching throughout the week. Um, they call it popcorn movies and they discuss you know, movies from the 1960s up into till movies that came out like two weeks ago. So it's like a vast variety of, you know, their, what they think about these movies. And it's, it's quite good. And I, I do really enjoy editing it and listening to it. And I tried to present on it, but I didn't know as much about films as they did. And it really put me in my place, massively put me in my place. Like I literally... They were talking about, you know, cinematography and directors and, you know, all this. And I was just being like, well, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It was good. <laughs> there was some good images and all that sort of stuff. So I almost got put in my place because I didn't know as much. I didn't have as much knowledge about movies as, as I probably should have been. So they pushed me to the side to something that I was good at. So I started uh, <laughs> focusing on the edit, which is good. But we, yeah, you can find um, Strangers on the Cinema on Instagram. You can find it on uh, the internet, the interweb, at strangersinacinema.net if you want to go and listen to two blokes talk about films. So how did you end up working with them? So I, um, so I finished uni uh like five years ago now and um through someone that frankie works with her partner is one of the presenters so i just you know i just got discussing with him and saying you know i really enjoy films and i've done a, a film segment on the radio and stuff like that and so we got discussing he brought the other guy in and it's just you know gone on from there and he um one of the presenters, he works for Exit 6 um, Film Festival in Basingstoke, which is like a, a small short film festival, which we, we had um, quite a few opportunities to go to in the early days. Oh, that sounds so that was really, yeah, so that was really good in terms of watching all these films and being able to, you know, share our opinions on them and stuff. Were they doing the podcast already or did they kind of work out that you did radio production they're like oh we actually need a producer so yeah they've been doing it for i think two years before that but oh, it fuck. was very much so it's very much like very sporadic in times when they you know recorded and stuff and they just they just felt like they needed a bit more oomph like they needed someone to edit put you know sound bites in it sort of produce it and record and things like that so at the very early days, I was sat in the room with them and I was recording it and I was producing it and things like that. But then one of them moved away. So, so it became harder to do that type of thing. And so like we're doing now over Zoom and over Skype and things like that, which actually I think is really important for podcasters because you're actually directly, you can speak to whoever you want mm -hmm. because there is that connection that you can have. And I think that's massive. Not I remember distance, back in yeah. the day on, on the radio where we'd have to like make a phone call or something. <laughs> and it just, yeah, I just, I can't fathom how it works. Like it was just ridiculous. <laughs> the technology must have improved so, so much since like, how, what's the timescale? How long ago did you do the radio show? Probably about three or four years now. Five, maybe five, yeah, maybe five years. Five um, years ago? Since I, yeah so quite a long time and i remember just as i left they they got rid of their mixing desk and they got a new sort of digital one because at, mm. at that point it was analog you know oh. it wasn't that long ago but they they upgraded this like better system better computing system um all the programs that you can use where you can have all your track listings up and you can press like touch screen and things like that which actually makes running a radio show really quite easy to do when you can just press quickly press a button and you know you've got the mixing desk and things which took me a while to get used to and how you know you sort of bring down the mic and you bring it up again obviously not technical speak i won't go into that because i'll, I'll be, <laughs> be here for an hour or so but um, yeah but yeah i do miss it and i wish i wish i had something that i could really focus 
conversation on, really sort of share my knowledge on. And I thought about doing one on craft beer of yeah. all things. Yeah, you remember you saying, yeah, tell me more about that. So I have a massive taste for craft beer, like a ridiculous, like this obsession with craft beer has basically rinsed my bank balance. <laughs> like I can easily spend like 30, 40 quid on like four cans of beer, four like really nice beers from a really nice brewery that I've been researching for a while. I've been looking at for a while, you know, unfortunately at the moment you can't go and visit them. You can't go to their tap rooms and stuff, but yeah. So like I really focus this interest on drinking craft beer and it's actually quite money consuming. Like it's really, it's really, yeah, it's really, um, I'm so glad I've got into craft beer because I think my wallet is as well. To be fair. But, um, so like I have a, like a whole collection of um, cans and stuff with all like crazy artwork on. So like my whole kitchen, like units at the top of them covered in all these cans that I've collected over the past few years. They've all got this crazy artwork on. And like, I'm really fascinated by that. I really think the artwork that is produced on a, a can of craft beer is really enticing mm. and it's really good marketing for them to be able to attract customers and get customers to buy their craft beer. If you put like a funky picture on it, like I'm definitely going to buy it because it looks cool and it will fit perfectly in my kitchen, you know? So, and like recently we've got more and more bottle shops have like popped up. So you can go into a bottle shop and you can tell them, exactly what you like drinking exactly what type of flavors you like what you're looking for in a you know in a beer what hop you like all those types of things and they're really good because they can share what they've learned about beer and they can really sort of help you find that style that you really like and so i think in the past you know five to ten years the craft beer i, I don't know craze i suppose is the word you put on it the craft beer craze um <laughs> and like it's, it's massively grown in like the last five to ten years and you know we're lucky i'm lucky enough to know jack dixon who he's a head brewer at seven brothers up in manchester and that's you know that's really cool that you know i can try his sample his beers and stuff like that but yeah so you know there's breweries popping up here and everywhere and it's exciting. It's an exciting time for that type of thing. But it's not an exciting time for my bank balance. And that's the problem. And it just becomes an obsession. So. so what is it about craft beer that sort of attracts you compared to other kinds of alcohol? Like what, what do you like about it? Mainly the taste. Mainly nice, just like just the way that um, they can pull the hops together, the different varieties of hops give it you know that punchy give it that piney taste like it's crazy you, one beer is going to be different from another and that is really excites me i don't want to just be drinking the same beer like every day every night which i'm not condoning obviously but you know it's just it's just the variety massively something different every day if i not every day but if i go into a bottle shop i'm going to get something different every time mm. And that excites me. I don't want to just be drinking the same thing. Uh, how much do they differ in taste and uh, like each one? Is there quite a range of tastes? Yeah, really massively depends on, you know, the mouthfeel, mouth the hops. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a word that I've heard quite a few times. I don't really know how to explain the mouthfeel, but it is something that is there, mm. how it feels in your mouth. But yeah, so it's like, the different tastes, the different varieties of hops, like really give different beers, different flavors. And it's really difficult to explain. And then that is why I decided that I didn't want to do a podcast on oh, craft no. beer. I, you could have, man. Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't feel that I can sit here and explain it and review it as well as I know some other people can, because I'm not so like magical with, my words and stuff and things like that. Are these so, other people you know personally or are these uh, people you've seen online? Mostly people that I've seen online, um, you know, seeing their reviews. And I use this app called um, Untapped. 
um, which basically means every time I have a new beer, I put it into this app and review it. I might take a fancy picture, you know, with a nice glass and, you know, set that all up and stuff. But it also means that for me, I can go on this app and I can see what beers I've had. So I'm not necessarily trying them again. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think there are people out there that have got a better grasp on it. And there are people that are doing those podcasts and sound really good and really clear. And I think I don't know enough. Like, yes, I enjoy drinking it, but I don't feel like I know enough to be able to share that knowledge or share that insight. Now, if I was like working at a brewery or something like that, I feel like I would. You could, you always have the option of interviewing people though about craft beers. That is a good, that is a good point. Yeah. Mm. It's, you know, I could, I could sit here and I could interview lots of different people, but it's getting in contact with those people and organizing that, which actually nowadays is a lot easier than it would have been. (laughs) I'm managing to do it, man. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've seen, and I, I, you know, hats off to you. You've got some different, different, a variety of different guests. And I think that's really, that what makes it really good. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you've given me the opportunity to come on here and, chat rubbish i guess oh no no it's been fun man i'm really enjoying it what would be good about you doing a craft beer thing is that you actually have a niche so you would actually attract an audience much easier than if you're doing a broad thing like i'm doing so you'd have that advantage if you did decide to do it i think i think it's worth trying obviously if you don't want to do it then it's fine but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i think you know for me like doing something like that would be really good because i've had so much experience Mm. in in terms of like interviewing people talking to people over the radio and stuff so i could really sort of put my own spin on it and talk to brewers i could talk to people that you know run the bottle shops things like that there are people out there that i could interview i just think for me it's it's more of a confidence thing and going back to when i was saying you know being a bit of an introvert and not really being able to be apt in that social situation that's when the nerves come across and that's when that social anxiety really sort of hits in when i'm there and i'm having to you know talk to someone that i haven't necessarily met before and things like that so that would be a big struggle for me but you know like everything you can get over that and you Mm. can sort of sort yourself out in that yeah so i still feel that now man like i still get anxious about it and also as long as you have the questions written down in advance that you want to ask then you don't even necessarily have to go to those questions when you're interviewing someone but they're just there just in case um Mm. so that's and also yeah i feel i feel like (laughs) that's funny thing i feel like i'm a lot less i'm a lot more introvert now than i was when i was younger i used to be quite extroverted as a child which is really strange and then yeah life and soul of the party yeah (laughs) but just doing this has actually really helped with sort of talking to people i even though i used to be uh extroverted i i did struggle with talking to people i didn't know and it would always be if we're at like a table with a bunch of people and then the people i knew left and then i stuck talking to people that i didn't know really well i always really struggled with (laughs) yeah yeah if you put yourself into that situation (laughs) i yeah i used to find that so difficult and i still do Mm. there are still times and i think that's that's the trouble obviously with you know this current circumstance that we're in at the moment Mm. you're not going to be in that situation so when it happens again when we are we do have that freedom it's going to go backwards and to be able to like get over that it's going to be quite (laughs) difficult i suppose but yeah otherwise um i had a few funny stories about things that have happened um whilst I've been working with young people, which we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, go for it, man. Anything you're up for sharing? So the, this is uh, one thing that happened to me. I was working as a TA and um, I was in, just in the classroom generally. And this kid put his hand up and he, he came up to me. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really ill. I'm feeling really ill. And so I was like, okay, we'll just have a drink of water. Go and sit down, go and you know, get comfortable in the seat again. And this is when he turned round, he or she turned round and literally projectile vomited all over me. (laughs) 
got a shirt and tie on, covered in <coughs> sick. And for the rest of the day, because I didn't have any spare clothes, <laughs> I had to I had to borrow some shoes off someone because my shoes were covered in it. I couldn't walk around in my shoes, covered in sick. I had to borrow some some shorts off one of the other teachers and a and a t-shirt that was in someone's cupboard. And because there wasn't a shower there, they basically got a hose in the forest school area <laughs> and just like sprayed me. It was like one of the worst experiences I've ever had um, working in a school, but also quite funny at the same time. Oh. I feel like it was, it was just one of those things that happened out of nowhere. And it was just like, oh, okay. How do I deal with this situation? Like, obviously I've thrown up myself mm. and I've probably thrown up on other people as well, mm. but this has never ha- happened to me in a situation. What do I do? What do I say to the child? Like how, how do I deal? I just, I think I just stood there for like 20 seconds, like froze, just, just didn't know what to do at all. Oh, and then sort of... Yeah. You don't, you don't get trained for that, do you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a, quite an amusing experience. I think another one, um, another time I was on, I was working over the summer on the national citizen service. Now, this is a, a program that um, helps 15, 16, 17-year-olds, um, sort of teaches them about um, citizenship and writing CVs and working as a team and doing all that type of thing. And so we'd have to go, we went away with them for two weeks on like a residential. And so I think it was a second week of residential where we had to do all this like teaching them how to write a CV, how to interview in a, in, in a job interview and things like that. And loads of activities like town planning and things like really boring stuff that 16 and 17 year olds want to do at that time. And we were doing like activities outside, like sports activities and we played rounders. And so I, at the end of this game of rounders, I had this rounders back. And I proposed a game of um, football rounders, but actually where they, you know, they hit the football with the rounders back. <laughs> yeah. And so I tried to demonstrate how to do this single-handedly with the football, throwing the football in the air, hitting it with the rounders back. But I ended up hitting myself in the face. <laughs> Massive black eye, like literally the end of a rounder's back. You know how like hard, like wood and flat it is, and ended up just going right in, right in my eye. Now, listeners at home aren't going to see the the motions that I'm going through at the moment, but yeah, you can imagine whacking yourself full pelt in the face with a rounder's back, <laughs> and my eye literally closed up. And there I am, being laughed at by a group of. You know, <laughs> 15 to 17 year olds. And I didn't know what to do. Literally, what do I do? Get me an ice pack, run, go and get me an ice pack. I need to put it on my face now. Otherwise my, my eyes going to like bulge out. But it was that, that instant knowing that I'd actually like properly hurt myself with this rounders bat. Oh Oh, no. It was so embarrassing though. I don't think I've ever felt as embarrassed as that in my whole life when I'm supposed to be responsible yeah. for this group of young people. And I've just done a pretty stupid thing by whacking myself with the rounders back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there are some really funny times that I've yeah. had working with young people and it, it is a joy. And for me, it's the best feeling is when you've taught something and a child has, has understood it. And you've really explained it to them in a way that they understand. And you can see like that sparkle in their eye when they've understood what you've taught them. And that's, yeah, for me, that's the best thing about the job that, you know, over the last few years that I've had. So also some ridiculously stupid things have happened to me whilst I've been a teacher. So, and a TA. <laughs> oh, nice, man. So, uh, Back to the lockdown subject. Is there any worry among you and your colleagues about the effect that lockdown's having on students and their learning? Massively. Mm. Yes. Is that a discussion um, that happens? 
Yeah. Um, like mental health for children is is a massive thing and it is so important that we take care of that presently. It's so difficult because, you know, they're so used to being in a, in a classroom with, you know, 25 to 30 of their friends. They're able to have this conversation. They're able to interact. Like this is massively important for their development. But now they're sat at home trying to learn, you know, we're trying to do the best support we can. And like how we've been doing it at school is we've been using this online system where we upload all of their work um, for the week or, you know, for Monday's lesson, Tuesday's lesson, etc. And then we've been doing um, Zoom teaching as well. So I've been in school twice a week um, with the key worker children as well. So I might have, you know, up to 15 key worker children in the classroom, but then I'm doing an input in front of, in front of um, an iPad, which has all, you know, 30, 50 other children from the year group watching this lesson. And this lesson is only 20 minutes and we have to go quite slowly and we have to get through the information that we need to share with them within this 20 minutes. And it's, incre it's been incredibly stressful. And those children that need that support aren't necessarily going to be in the key worker group they're not necessarily going to be in school with us and we're not going to be able to support them. So the parents can really only do, you know, as much as they can. And I've just been so impressed with, you know, parents questioning and asking us what they need to do and sort of communicating in that way. But actually at the end of the day, the children are making history. They are the heroes of this situation. Like they have done so well. And yes, some of them, will be you know it will be hitting them hard and they're not able to go out and they're not able to socialize but then i think also there's obviously a lot of time for video games and things like that which does have you know which does have an effect but i can't sit here as a teacher and say you can't play video games because you know that's what they want to do and you know that's what they might do at home but yeah so we have had lots of conversations about how do we, you know, approach this situation. So I do a, um, I do a social zoom every Friday yeah. with my class and we do like different games and things. So I did a scavenger hunt the other day. So they were all chaotically running around the, the um, their houses, like collecting things that I'd asked them to collect. And, you know, we're doing quizzes and things like that. And that's really important because then they're able to offload and they're able to talk to each other through that social part. And it's not focusing on the schoolwork. They have that time to be sociable because some of them won't necessarily have that opportunity to, you know, have a phone call with their friend and things like that. Mm. But yeah. And then, you know, in terms of PHSE and things like that, we've been working really hard to sort of make that, impactful for them to do at home and for them to sort of have those ways of dealing with stress and dealing with anxieties and just focusing really on their well-being and our school's got a mental health award as well so it's a really big thing for us at school as well oh that's a super cool idea with you doing the the fun games thing yeah I, i'm concerned about what's the lockdown means for kids like mentally mental health wise going into the future because like in my opinion fit this is the kind of beef i have with homeschooling as well generally i think yes you can probably provide a better education maybe if you've got the time to your own kids but like 50 percent of the learning at school is the social learning and you need to work out how to be a human around other people so yeah um what uh, criticisms do you have, like not not even like in lockdown, but just generally the school system, and uh, what do you think is good about it? What do you think is bad about it? And what would you change if you were king of the world? <laughs> if I was king of the world, um, I'd climb a skyscraper. Um, <laughs> Spider Man, Spider Jack. Yeah, I I think 
It's it is a difficult one because the curriculum is good. You know, you can be as you can be as exciting as you want with the curriculum. You can create your own curriculum as long as you're, you know, making sure that you're teaching those those points within the curriculum. But I think I've only firsthand seen it within one school. Then another school might be different. Um, the way that they do things is going to be completely different from the way that the school I'm in does. So currently I would suggest, I would say that, you know, I'm happy with how the school do things and things like that. Like we've, we've been looking at sort of global learning and things like that. And I think that's really important for those children to know about citizenship, sustainability, things like that. So, yeah, I would, I I, I don't think I would change much presently. I just think I would change the way that maybe the government looks at schools and things like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that teachers have really been thought about in the last few months as much as they probably should have been. But, you know, as an NQT, as someone that's only really just started in their career as a teacher, I can't really say that much if that makes sense oh you're still you're still learning the ropes in a way aren't you um oh massively yeah so on the off chance there's a young child listening to this who's uh having troubles at school what what kind of advice would you give to them to i think really sort of consider you know if you've got something that you want to say say it because it's helpful, you know, if you want to share, I think that that's a big thing for us at the moment is, is oracy is really sort of learning how to speak in a situation. And I think it's important to speak to as many people as you can. Um, so it's a really difficult question, if I'm honest, um, not something I've really put my mind to, but if I was to suggest going back, if I was to give myself advice when I was at school, it would have been to, I think, just knuckle down and just get on with it and, you know, be able to be yourself and share what you're good at and all those types of things and really sort of put yourself out there and make sure that you're communicating with all the, all the people you can and sort of giving yourself as many experiences as you can. And I think that's really difficult at the moment with, with, COVID and everything like that is that there isn't as many experiences that those children can have and there isn't as many places for them to go and visit. It's not museums, there's not all those types of things which really do help to improve. You know, if you have the opportunity to go and delve into those types of things, I think that's really important. D-R-E-V-E-N-N.